I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, it works. All right, Chaz, welcome back. It is uh, The Grit. It is August 10th, 2023. What a day. It's a sad day, David Lee Scales. It is, um, did you say it's a sad day? Kind of. I mean, I feel a certain sadness. I think usually we come on and I feel happy, but the whole Maui situation has really got me. It's hard to make merry. feels like it's in poor taste. To make fun and make merry on today's show while so many people are experiencing the worst days of their lives. I mean, it's really true. And the devastation, again, yeah, is just, I mean, it's not only kind of unfathomable, but yeah, the, the like swath of destruction. And, you know, of course, everybody's right in the middle of being destroyed right now. So there's not even time to set back and see what was destroyed. But my goodness, Maui and Hawaii, for that matter, will not be the same for a long, long time after this. What do we do? Well, here we go. Uh, The wife got on the horn with Ian Walsh, knowing that we were going to do this show soon. Uh, So Ian Walsh, of course, everybody knows Ian as a Maui, you know, phenomenal surfer, great guy. Uh, His brothers are both firefighters and so are actually out there fighting the the blaze. Um, And he sent me, we'll put stuff up on Beach Grit later today and... Also, I'm sure uh, the Surf Splendor website, but just initially, uh, he po- he was pointing people at the Hawaii Community Foundation, which has a Maui Strong Fund going. So uh, it is, um, I'll get the email address up, but maybe head to Beach Grit uh, later today when this post goes up, if you're listening, and, and the link and every, everything will be there. But the Maui, uh, Maui Strong Fund, Hawaii Community Foundation. Got it. Um, I was going to suggest, yeah, following Ian Walsh on Instagram. He's a commu- great community leader, and I think he takes um, you know, that role seriously, knowing that he has a huge audience. Yep. So he'd be a great person to follow and lean on. Paige Alms would be another one. Kai yep. Lenny would be another one. Um, and yeah, I never know... I mean, at this point, like you said, it's the fires are still uncontained, and so Raging. yeah, so it's it's really difficult to even know where to send resources now. But once 
some time passes, I think uh, thorough plans of recovery and redevelopment will emerge, and that'd be a great time to send resources because beyond financial resources, we all have closets full of clothing that we do not wear, probably even computers that we're not using that are still fully functional. I mean, people have lost everything. I know um, Bob Oley lost his surfboard factory and his house. Um, So people are losing literally everything that they've ever, ever worked for and we'll need to recuperate everything. So many things that we don't use that are just laying around that people could absolutely put to use. And I think that, uh, you know, I mean, tragedy occurs around the world daily, you know, with famine and war and hurricane destruction and all of this kind of stuff. And it, I think we can kind of get desensitized to just, uh, yeah, to the tragedies, the daily tragedies. It's just like, you know, this nonstop wash of daily tragedies. This one in particular, though, I mean, our surf community, I feel this one hits home. And not that the others shouldn't, but this one does hit home. And I feel that we, it's one of the great parts about this, you know, podcast community and the Beach Grit community and all of it. It, it is community. And I do feel connected to other surfers. And I think this is a time for, yeah, again, uh, later afterwards, there'll be more places to point, I think. But yeah, just to be for all of us to be ready to go to help that community. Yeah, totally. Um, Totally radical apocalyptic imagery that's showing up on our Instagram feeds right now. Lahaina Town obviously was one of the... um, it was the capital, I believe, of Hawaii before Honolulu was. So it's super historic. The architecture is historic and just the um, legacy in Hawaii is historic. So it's been completely decimated. And the imagery, seeing what it looked like three days ago versus what it looks like now is just like something out of a movie. It's horrendous. I mean, everybody's been to Lahaina Town, too. Like, I mean, yeah. I've been, you know, multiple times, like strolling up and down. It's It's crazy to think that that place is gone. I know. really is. Tragic. Well, thoughts and prayers with Maui right now. Um, And uh, I guess making Mary also serves a purpose though, right? Let's get on to it. (laughs) adding, Adding levity to an otherwise completely somber couple of, uh, I mean, days it's been, it's all happened in the last 48 hours. It's radically quick and radically overwhelming the amount of devastation in such a short period of time. Yep, but it is important but, um, to make merry as well. Make I agree. Lemonade I agree. out of lemons, David Lee Scales. That's what we do here. Yes, we do. Um, how was the U.S. Lemonade. How was the U.S. Open? Oh, did you go at all? Hell no. What Travis Frey hath wrought was beautiful. Like the inherent bummer factory by the sea was. Perfect, right? Like it's removed across the street. That, to be honest, was the first time I'd ever been to that Pacific City Center or whatever it's called. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. It is so weird to... Huntington Beach is weird in general, I feel. How it can uh, radically change uh, but still feel the same. Like, was it was it a hotel there before? I think it was. I think it was. I think it was like a that big hotel kind of complexy thing or something. Something I don't ugly think, in any case. It's funny. I watched them build that whole thing and it wasn't that long ago and my brain does not remember what was there prior. <laughs> I mean, I feel um, that's Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach is like 
a perpetual kind of recreation. I mean, aside from Main Street, which changes kind of radically sometimes too, right? Or I guess it hasn't in a while. I guess once Jack's went up, that was when the last... But the hotel, the shore break on the other side, all of that was brand new, you know? Yeah. I don't know, yeah, 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. In any case, though, uh, Factory by the Sea was an epic thing. But then being in Huntington again, too, and the, the hordes that go in, it's a rough one, David Lee Scales. Not that I don't like that crowd, but uh, maybe I don't like that crowd. Like I don't. It's like walking up the sidewalk to the Pacific City Center and literally almost got taken out by a dude going 40 miles an hour on an e-bike on the sidewalk the wrong way, right? Like, yeah. it's to me, that emphasized, or that was the picture, the perfect picture of what Huntington Beach is. It's like exactly. ignorant selfishness. Completely. Yeah, I mean, look, I lived in Huntington Beach for... 12 years um thankfully it wasn't right in that zone it was over by the harbor which is kind of a different cultural experience but i hate it as well it is what it is you know and i love that they built that pacific city because um it's expensive to live in huntington like if you own a home there it's a multi-million dollar home yet if you wanted to go to dinner you had to go to Newport Beach or up to Long Beach and Seal Beach maybe because it was just, it's all focused on tattoos and bars and that whole culture and lifestyle, you know? So even if you're well-to-do in Huntington, you don't really hang out or dine in Huntington. But they built Pacific City and it felt like it was a little bit more... Um, cosmopolitan. Yeah, more cosmopolitan. There's nicer restaurants. The restaurants, they weren't... Um, like chain restaurants, you know, like so much of Huntington can be. But even still, the rest of the culture, Huntington Beach culture has seeped into Pacific City as well. And so I you mean, still really, want to drive. You still it, want to drive to Newport <laughs> to have dinner. It truly is. Ignorant, aggressive selfishness. Is, That's exactly what it is. I mean, because it, it's an, it's not, if it was like uh, just kind of out to lunch, if it was just like ignorant, That'd be fine, right? If it was mm -hmm. selfish with a purpose, that'd be okay. The, the combination that is Huntington Beach, where it's ignorant, selfish, and then it wants to fight you. 100%. I started following that meanwhile in Huntington Beach it's Instagram really account after yeah. you linked to it. It is very good. It, it, it does exactly what it says it is, meanwhile in Huntington Beach, and it's exactly what you're talking about, where, you know random post will just be a dude on a motorbike doing wheelies on the boardwalk you know and it's like it's unbelievably dangerous there's families here just and it's loud it's obnoxious what the hell are you doing you know i really so. i want i want to like it because it is so huntington i mean i want yeah. i don't want to be down on huntington right i want to be like no this is it's it has created its own culture and as somebody who appreciates different cultures I should appreciate Huntington culture for what it is. And maybe I'm going to try harder to learn. But I just go there and I think this place could, I mean, not to use a bad metaphor here, but this place could burn down tomorrow and California would be better off. Maybe so. Um, the crazy, I mean, I guess if you think of Byron Bay or Venice, we, there's a stereotype in those locations, right? Which is the yep. hippie yoga kind of thing. Acai bowls, yoga. Um, 
we can point at that and not get laugh at it and not get mad at it. Yeah. For some reason, the Huntington Beach is equally mockable, except I'm angry about it. <laughs> Me too, but I don't want to be angry. I want to we nail it on the head. I want to look at it just like I look at other places that are mockable in their, yeah. you know, in their hipsterness or in their whatever it is that you know, even Bondi, right? For whatever, like you can people even stick in Cardiff or, you know, yeah. Oceanside now or whatever. Every kind of beachside community has its kind of character. That's, that's funny. Huntington's really make, makes my blood boil. And I don't know why. It's probably the aggression that's inherent within the culture there <laughs> because Byron, you're not going to get punched out for any reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, in Huntington, there's an aggression that's built into it that you feel a repulsion against, I guess. I mean, that, and it's, I guess it really is that combination of ignorant, selfish. Like, because if it was just ignorant and aggressive, that would be funny. If it was like yeah. this MMA kind of place where you go and you watch people get in fights in the street, I'd get down with that. But it's this, it's the pervading selfishness. People there think they have arrived. Like, if they live in Huntington, then. The world is theirs. This is, you're yeah. in my turf now. And it's not even like a localism. It's just like, screw everyone. I live in it Huntington. Is, it's super bizarre, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, that covers our talk about the US Open. Who cares about yeah. the winners or anything I mean, that took place? I mean, truly the surf was abysmal watching it. You know, you watch it on the webcast and it looks bad. Uh, when, you, when you rock up and you see the vast bad, like, you know, the, the webcast, of course, is focusing on, you know, the waves by the pier, just south of the pier. But when the whole vista is terrible, it really puts it into, like, they just, the World Surf League, I have decided officially, like, the universe is giving the World Surf League what it wants, is to be mocked. Uh, it hates its fans, and so the universe is saying to the World Surf League, great, well, we understand, this is how bad you hate your fans, we're going to take away all of your waves forever. You don't get waves yeah. anymore because you hate your fans. So we're going to hate your fans too. Yeah. I would like to think that it was that, that there was a cosmic justice. I think they're just so inept at doing their job that it's like, yeah, of course, if you, you know, plan things out a year in advance and plan them on a poor time of year for a given location, then you're not going to get waves likely, you know? I, I mean, and I don't even fault the WSL for Huntington, but no. Like Huntington is what it is, but even by Huntington standards, it was awful. And then like the waves, then if it's that bad, I mean, I, did we talk about this last week? If it's that bad, don't feel the need to celebrate it. Like I posted, you know, that whatever, I can't remember if it was after last week's show, but the, uh, world surf league mocks, uh, who was it that got the, Oh, um, let's do it. The dude who used to be on tour, who was once a shining star and is now in the dust heap. Uh, Morgan Siblick. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Morgan Siblick's eight whatever point ride, the oh, wave yeah. of the day where they blast right. it out, right? And then so you see the static image and then you go and watch the video and it's him, nothing against Morgan Siblick. He's doing the best he can on a shin high piece of slop. Yeah. Uh, but just maybe leave off the wave of the day on that. Like elevating the wave of the day of Morgan Siblick on a shin high slop versus then same, you know, thing wave of the day at the Chopu trials. I mean, at the tier, 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 uh, trials, uh, <laughs> Sam George is such a douche. Sam George is 
kind of an equal character of something that Huntington Beach is. He's not aggressive, what? but he's such a goof. But anyway, so uh, why elevate those things the same? Just like say, okay, if the waves are under knee high, we're just not going to, you know, we're going to score tonight because that's, we have to score to the waves, but we're not going to actually broadcast it. That that was the wave of the day. Right. It's yeah. There's okay. a real, there's a real letdown when you, um, when you see that static image first with the score, you know, and you're like, day. wow, it must be a sick one. You scroll over <laughs> and watch and go, I just wasted 20 seconds. But I was talking to Scott Bass earlier in the week and I told him watching that um, Chopu finals for the trial event, it was such a stark contrast because you push play and the ocean's basically flat and there's two surfers sitting in the lineup. And then you see the wave moving in and it actually sucks up below sea level. And as you see that happening, you stop everything else that's going on and you focus on the screen and you just go, holy cow, the ocean is folding over on itself. Not only would I not go on that wave, I wouldn't even dare sit in that lineup. That is clearly for qualified professionals and only a few of them would actually go. And then when uh, Matahi takes off, soul arches off the bottom with his tongue sticking out, you go, oh my God, there's only a few people on the planet who could do that. You know, like totally insane, right? And then Emio gets an even crazier one right after that. And you you know, within five minutes, I'm all in. Like I'm clearing the next 30 minutes of my day and I'm just going to focus on this because to be perfectly honest, not only are they the only few people on the planet who can do that. And it's unbelievably exciting to see peak performers performing in this environment that is unique on the planet. You know, if something goes wrong, they could also die, (laughs) you know? So take that. Absolutely. Great point. Right. Ethan Ewing. So That is what surfing should be. That is what surfing is. That is even when you and I were learning how to surf in waves that looked like Huntington, it felt like that to us in that time. But taking the imagery from Huntington and using that as your main kind of marketing vehicle and to try to attract non-surfers and by the way, surfers alike is just a complete insanity. Like it's a complete... um, uh, futile effort because it'll never execute what you're trying to execute. I don't understand how, I mean, the, I don't understand with the world surf league, I should just stop even mentioning any of it, but they know what the forecast is. They knew that was their one day of waves for their window, right? The window for Tira Hopu. I'm sorry to those who don't check out the forecast, but it is abysmal. They are not going to get waves. This contest will be a waveless affair, Right. Uh, it, it could be three three to five feet. We'll see about that. Yeah. But uh, the they knew this was the day of waves in any case for the whole event, right? Yeah. The trials can be epic or are epic oftentimes, right? You have specialists out there competing, going for the throat for, you know, one precious spot. So it's already every, all this drama is built in. Not only do we have that, we have Tirahopo as the... Uh, site of Olympic surfing coming up. So you have this built-in, you know, audience, po- potential audience. How did the World Surf League not put that thing on blast days before, knowing like, hey, everybody get ready. I only heard it was running or knew it was running like halfway through or something like that. And I, again, am 
directly involved in searching surf things every day of my life. That is my career and job. And it caught me even by surprise that it was running. I didn't know until after the fact. Yeah. And and I only knew because there was two tens in the final. Like I, mean, I, 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 that event has, the trials event has come and gone my entire life without a peep mentioned about it. Uh, and this time I think it only was discussed because the, those two waves were so spectacular. The other thing is they actually, to their credit, published it on YouTube, which they normally don't do. It sometimes is embedded on their website, but even then you have to dig deep to find it. So the fact that footage actually was uh, accessible this time was kind of like unusual. Cool. I mean, but it's insane to me. It's insane to me that they I mean, know everything. They know that people are interested in Tira Hopo'o because of the Olympics coming up. So you have a potential. So why not do an ad spend and actually, or get somebody to say, hey, this is gonna be great. We got great surf, we got great surfers. If you've never seen this, you know, this is something you wanna watch. Let's actually spend against this trials because again, our dumbass CT event is not going to get waves. And to pretend that it is, but I guess all things are equal to the WSL. They are, well, they, com again, completely misunderstand what is their special sauce. So yeah. the Huntington Beach event was going on, the US Open was going on right at the same time and they're publishing 10 times a day about yeah. the US Open, you know, thinking that that is the special sauce when clearly it isn't. But the event itself is going to start in the next, actually literally 24 hours from right yep. now. One day from today. Yeah. Tell me, um, so Ethan Ewing broke his back. You alluded to that. That's a huge story because he was um, number two World going number two. into this event. So massive well, story. Again, I cursed before before we got on. I hurried up and made French toast and sausages. And while I was doing that, I was busily cursing the World Surf League for, uh, did you read their press release about it? Mm -mm. Oh, did you uh, see their big Instagram post about it? Nope. Um... Huh. D uh, oh, yeah, because they didn't mention it. They said he was injured. <laughs> imagine, imagine, literally imagine that LeBron James is practicing basketball at the Lakers facility and he breaks his back and the NBA releases a statement, quick slide on Instagram that says who's in of the night's game and who's out. LeBron James is out. You don't say why he's out. You just say he's out. He's being replaced by somebody. That's all the World Surf League did about the world number two breaking his back at Tier Ahu Pa'o. Broke his back. I mean, the incompetence, the gross incompetence of the World Surf League is staggering even when you're used to it. Even when you daily put up with gross incompetence, they will shock and surprise with more gross incompetence. But anyway, yeah, Ethan Ewing broke his back. He's out, world number two. Uh, nothing from the World Surf League, but people who have spoken to doctors, et cetera, think what, well, if it's a if it doesn't need surgery, it's a, what was it, three to four week recovery time? I'm not and sure. It, I think it was, if it doesn't need surgery, possible three to four week recovery. If it does need surgery, much longer, which would mean he would certainly be out of the uh, trestles and final five and per the rule book amazingly and it's cool i love this rule uh you don't get replaced in the final five so it'll just be the final four for men which i have no idea why the 
number six, six surfer wouldn't just bump up to number five. Yeah, because they didn't earn access to a world title, essentially, would be the argument. But, I mean, but, they earned it by being number five then when the number two gets injured. Yeah. Well, I. it is insane, first of all, that they don't unpack this story because it is such a It's a good, newsworthy story. It's a great way to advertise your upcoming event. Com- completely. And again, if you understand that um, the central tenet is man and woman versus nature then this is actually a gift. This is verifying that this is a death-defying wave. It's just like with natural, like you talked about with natural selection. Like we're going out into this environment that nobody's been in before and we are going to challenge it and put our lives in at risk, essentially. And so Ethan Ewing, the second best surfer in the world by your own measurement, isn't qualified, or I mean, he's qualified, but he's not, he didn't stand, he didn't win the battle against Mother Nature. Mother Nature won, and now we're throwing the rest of these gladiators out into the environment. That is the sales pitch. That's the marketing campaign. Precisely. And and my ire at the World Surf League for not mentioning it is not because it's a like the Eric Logan thing. They should have done it by, because again, in the NBA and the NFL, if you know Adam Silver or Roger Goodell got fired overnight, there would have to be some statement as to why, because they are real organizations. The hoax of the World Surf League. Eric Logan goes out, they don't say anything. I get that's tawdry, why he went out. I get that it's, you know, unseemly. So I don't, you still have to mention it, but whatever. This Ethan Ewing story, it's not tawdry or unseemly. It is precisely, as you said, a proof of concept of your event. It is that these, and precisely what you are talking about earlier with, even after that happened, when did, did he get injured before or after the trials? I think it was after. Okay, so, but in any case, you're going to have surfers out there, I guess not for the event since it won't have waves, but the the people who go out and soul arch and stick their tongues out in these, you know, terrifying waves are otherworldly. They are different kinds of humans, and that should all be celebrated. And Ethan Ewing is a different kind of human. Ethan Ewing is a, exactly like the rest of them, is a brave gladiator, and he went into the pit and... The lion ate him, right? Yeah. Like, that's a story. That is, a, I mean, and it's and there's it's And there's footage, and there's footage of it. You have footage. You have footage of him getting clamped, right? And yes. the it's insane to me. It isn't there, again, it's the gross incompetence is at such a level that this morning, I, I think that it's a front for something at this point. I think the World Surf League is basically a front for, I don't know what Ziff is doing with it, but it's clearly not intended to be watched. Like, well, they they don't want it to be watched for some reason. That, that's an interesting take. I think um, nobody actually cares. I think like Ziff and his wife claim that they cared about equality and that they even like surfing and all that sort of stuff. They clearly don't want to see the best surfer. Like, if they actually cared about surfing, they'd be like, let's. Take the best surfers in the world, put them in the best waves. That's what everybody wants to see. They clearly don't care about it in that way. They don't even understand that or the difference between Huntington and Chopu. And then the people within the organization who did care and wanted to see those things, they left the building three and four and five years ago when this regime... There's still got to be people in the building who are hanging on to their jobs and they, you know, it's a job so they can't quit, but they still think they still know what good surfing is and what a good story is. Right. So it feels like this is getting actively pushed from the top. I got to think there's good people in 
I think those people those people spoke up along the way in the early days and quickly were realized that the agenda of the top is so different than you know what you want to see the best surfers in the best waves so they didn't try to upset anything from that point on so i think that's where we're at and we're way deep down that path and so they're not going to be like hey guys you know what we need to do is rejigger the entire tour (laughs) and eliminate half of the people and like rework everything and renegotiate the contracts with the countries and all of it you know like that's just so far out the window that what's the point at this point do I am I going to argue that we need to publish an article and the footage of Ethan Ewing and his injury and direct all no they're like I'm just showing up and collecting a paycheck at this point I if guess. I do speak up I threaten my own job so yeah. I'm just here to collect a paycheck at this point I know it's mockable I know I should have left three years ago with my dignity but where am I going to go at this point yeah I mean it's true but I would love a DM though from somebody in the building from some worker who's there saying, look, there is, there's a group of us here who care and we just can't do anything. You could be anonymous. Just slide into my DMs with a little insight into the room or or say, yeah, you're exactly right. No, everybody's completely and utterly has no idea what's going on, nor do they care. But again, the level, the level of incompetence is such that it makes me, once again, believe that from the top, they don't want you to watch for some reason. They don't want anybody to watch. They want this thing. So this thing exists for some other reason. But why? The only I like thing it. I can think is counterfeit ladders. <laughs> it's a... I like it. It is a good conspiracy. I, I encourage you to work it up into many, many articles. Uh, speaking of apathy, last night I was driving home. I had published something on Instagram on Surf Splendor, which I really don't do that often anymore. But I'm like, I really want to devote time and energy to it. Anyways, I took the time and energy to publish something about Kelly Slater being at Skeleton Bay in preparation for Chopu. Yeah. Like surfing, you know, a very challenging left-hander. Strider uh, called it, said, don't come unless you are an expert. Yeah. I mean, literally like the most challenging, probably one of the most challenging and throaty left-hand barrels in the world. Longest, requires endurance, requires the hardship of doing it in a wetsuit, all that sort of stuff. So Slater being out there challenging him that way, showing up at Chopu is going to be a cakewalk for him by comparison. Same skill set, but just so much easier to do, right? Anyways, I'm driving home last night. Kelly Slater commented on the post. And I get the the notification, you know, so you can see the first line or two. And um, he was arguing with something. I think I engaged with a commenter who was like, a commenter said something about... uh, I don't know what. And I commented with him and I was like, no, there was a rule that the WSL implemented this Kelly caveat rule to where he's allowed to accrue points towards his year end rankings and potentially a world title with his wildcard access through the rest of the season. So Kelly was replying back to me being like, that's not true. It wasn't a rule for me. Gabriel also blah, blah, blah trails off. Cause I can only see the notification. I said, this is about apathy. I never even opened that notification. I, I still don't know what Kelly Slater said to me because I literally got home and there was like, Austin, you know, I want to see Austin. And and I didn't even mention it to Lauren. Like, I didn't even say, hey, by the way, Kelly commented on my post today. Nothing. It's just like, I honestly don't care. So then later in the night, I see that other commenters are telling Kelly what's up. They're like, actually, Kelly, 
that rule was for you because of X, Y, and Z. I don't even open those notifications. Then this morning, <laughs> Kelly's commenting back. Then right now, while we're talking, I see Kelly's commenting again. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that like that post is now going viral and Kelly's commenting on it. I don't care enough to even open it to see what Kelly has to say. First of all, him catching me on a technicality of actually Gabriel Medina also benefited because he was, you know, took the previous year off or whatever Kelly was saying. That's not the point. That rule was created for you. So I'm not going to argue with you on social media. It's, it's stupid, but I honestly don't even care enough to argue with you on social media. You know, it's like, so I I don't care anymore. I thought you were deeply blocked. No, he unblocked me when he launched the Kelly, the turtle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he unblocked me to advertise the turtle sandal. <laughs> you forgot, man. I like turtles. There you go. I know you're, I know you're setting me up just so you can hear that. <laughs> Anyways, um, I wanted to hear from you about the Sam George thing uh, because I saw the articles and I got a gist of what it was about, but I didn't actually read what he wrote or anything like that. So how does uh, Sam George relate to this Chopu event? I mean, I wrote one. I love, again, beating a dead horse. I wrote basically the exact same article last week and I thought it was, I amused myself so much with it that I decided to do it again. Uh, Sam George did a lengthy post for the inertia wherein he blotty blotty blah talked about basically the racism of misgendering, misnaming, uh, dead naming waves, right? Like that the bonsai pipeline is really supposed to be whatever. I guess he called it pupukea or whatever. Uh, you know, he goes on through a list of like waves that we call but that had names before and ties it all the way back to whoever explorers coming and naming, you know, New Zealand something, but the locals called it blah blah And at the very end, he gives a long lesson on how to pronounce everybody's favorite wave, tira hoopa o o o totally disregarding uh, our long discussions. Not that he needed to know about them, but how, how much time did we dedicate last year to the pronunciation of chopu? I'm going to guess 42 minutes. It was a decent amount of time with call-ins from locals, Tahitian locals, helping everybody out with this is the correct pronunciation, right? We really rounded that nut with, not us, telling people how to pronounce it, with information from a native. Uh, Sam George, though, took it upon himself to this is how you actually pronounce it, which according to him, I think it's tir, tir a hopu, I think, or tir a hopo or something, whatever it is. It starts with tir, though. Apparently you say tear at the start, which is so ludicrous. And then Sam George as the white savior, like the very clear and the very image of the white savior coming in to tell people, this is how you pronounce this, you know, local native word. Let me, the white man, tell you. It is so laughably funny that I rewrote the story just because Sam George is such a douche. He is peak perfect douche. Um, do you ever hear from Sam George when you no. lambast him? Okay. No. Okay. no, I don't. I would invite anything. I mean, I would invite what? him to say, you are a vile, muckraking piece of trash. And then I would love to have a nice debate with Sam George about the value of surf culture or something, right? Like, I, Sam George is and has become a caricature of Sam George. He is no longer a flesh and blood person. 
he is a funny cartoon. Um, he got his way because you are now pronouncing it to his specification. Tear a hope of ooh, yeah, like there you go, Sam. I hope you're happy. I want Sam George probably rues the day he ever met me. It's probably like one of his big regrets. Um, well, how did that meeting go? I mean, Sam George is the one who gave me my start in surf journalism. He set me on my way. I don't know if I even knew that. Yeah. Uh, the Yemen, the first Yemen story, the going to Yemen to surf story, way back in the day. I had not written one word, uh, but me and buddy Josh went into the offices of Surfer and met with Sam George. And he was like, I like it. Or it was a good story for us. He even gave us money up front. So, wow. Yeah, that was it. And off I went, thanks to Sam George. Wow, those were the days. Money, first of all, money. Secondly, money. up front. Up front, like up front for a story. Like they fronted like whatever, half of the whatever it was for the story. Crazy. Yeah. Um, well, I've got, of course, pros in the wild. Actually, before we get to pros in the wild, because I think this is kind of related to what, uh, to our WSL conversation. By the way, I like how our recaps now of the U.S. Open don't include any surfing and our recap or our pre-show about Chopu is just about backbreaking and Sam George pronunciation. It's perfect. Really nothing to do with the surfing. Um, <laughs> but I blame the WSL for all of that because cool. they've eroded all of our interests. It doesn't matter. The only things that matter and are funny are on the periphery. Exactly. But Connor Coffin um, actually revealed a little bit of a nugget that I knew to be true. And I feel like you probably knew this story too, but Connor straight from the horse's mouth. Um, Stab magazine just did an article with him in an interview about his retirement. Connor Coffin officially retired from professional competitive surfing at the U S open mid event when he lost his heat, got chaired up the beach, went in this post heat interview and just said, you know, I'm done basically. Um, so Stab Magazine interviewed him, and in the interview, they asked him about how it was being the surfer's rep the last year when he was on tour. And Connor said, quote, I got caught in the middle of the mid-year cut, which a lot of the surfers felt was just change for the sake of change. I was trying to be the voice of 48 surfers at the time, and when I would try to voice their thoughts to Eric Logan, he would take it really personally. I was just trying to do my job. And then the interviewer said, really? He took it personally? And Connor said, oh, yeah, it was gnarly. I had a really heavy conversation with Eric where he basically blamed the surfers wanting a petition or wanting to petition an event on me. He wanted me to go control what they said in post-heat interviews and stuff. He called me a liar and got really negative. It was super lame. I quit being the surfer's rep the day after that conversation. Yeah, I mean, Logan... I mean, and I've heard and you've heard, besides the handsy stuff, besides, besides the touchy-feely stuff, that uh, Eric Logan ha- apparently has a rage temper. Yeah. Well, I heard further, and I don't know if Connor, if he wants this revealed, but that probably this conversation, but a conversation he has on tape. Like he had had these interactions with Eric Logan where Eric was being totally out of line. And so his, he was on speakerphone and his girlfriend filmed the call with Connor talking to Eric and Eric doing this exact thing, just berating him. And then 
Connor, this is that was on tape. I don't know. This isn't after this, but um, Connor basically, or Eric and Jesse would then go implement what they claimed was surf approved by the surfers rep and approved by the surfers themselves when Connor explicitly did not approve it. So they, you know, present the idea of the mid year cut, let's say. All the surfers shut it down and say, no, we're not going to do that. Connor says no. Connor gets yelled at by Eric because Eric wanted Connor to do the bidding. Then Eric turns around and says, yeah, Connor said it was fine. We're going to go ahead and run with it. I mean, Eric Logan, the the grease and stink will, I mean, again, the World Surf League is already so polluted that I don't know what his grease and stink did or does much more to it. But th- that dude is a foul human being, Eric Logan completely and totally and i'm glad that to know that videos like that and evidence does exist you know and uh, it hadn't probably doesn't need to come to light at this point because eric's gone but but i'm glad it exists i'm glad you know you know who's not gone jesse miley dyer jesse miley dyer should now take the heat that should be placed on eric like she is a surfer she was a professional surfer she should know better and so her like glibly going along with trash like that like and i know connor coffin you know connor coffin you can't find a nicer more well-meaning uh serious kind person than connor coffin connor coffin is a gem of a person like truly top to bottom uniquely just he's just a great guy right totally great guy uh and so to do something like that to Connor is like if you're Eric and but then to sit by and watch it happen and or to participate if you're Jesse screw you Jesse Miley Dyer everybody who's in the organization I've said it in the past they're complicit at this point you know I mean they have been for years but at this point to know what we know to have evidence like this all in you're totally complicit if you just sat there and watched it happen I mean I think Jesse Miley is more than complicit Jesse Miley is an active participant and like being part of it all here's what i'll say just as pure speculation what i heard in that recording was that eric says to connor i will ruin you (laughs) that's what i so that's what i heard but let's take a let's take a survey of history connor was fourth in the world the year prior all of this goes down the following year connor's off tour and his major sponsors let him go and one of his major sponsors sponsors the WSL finals, and they have a bunch of financial interests tied together with the league. So it wouldn't be hard, far, to speculate that Eric Logan threatening, I will ruin you, and then Connor's career essentially being completely uh, ruined afterwards, that there could be a tie between those things. I mean, my gracious. Yeah. I mean, awful. Awful. Yeah. Awful. And couldn't, I think, uh, yeah, again, if it would have happened, I don't even know who's a jerk surfer, but if it would have happened to a jerky surfer, still awful. <laughs> but to Connor Coffin? Well, I said we got pros in the wild. Our first story comes from Christian Fletcher. <laughs> Ooh, Christian Fletcher. Is he a, is he a listener? No, but he, <laughs> he, <laughs> I doubt it. Um, he took to Instagram to voice his disdain for uh, one Sean Thompson. Did you see this story? I sure did. 
Christian Fletcher um, posted on Instagram. I think Sean Thompson commented on his post. I'm not sure where the original post was, but I the think it was. The original one seemed like it was a Facebook thing or something. Because I couldn't find the, or yeah, maybe it was just an Instagram. I didn't look yeah. too far. I think it was an Instagram post and I think it was maybe even Christian's original post, but Sean commented on it and said, I love a bit of old school aggro. Christian chimes in and says, uh, no, you just like to drop in. <laughs> no, you just like to drop in. But when someone returns the favor, you are the biggest whiny bitch in the world. And then after you're done whining, you go call the police. Is that what you reach? Is that uh, what you teach is what he meant to say, but he wrote reach as a life coach, how to be a whining bitch. Go back to Africa, kook with three middle fingers. <laughs> I heard that, uh, Apple has erased, you can't use the middle finger emoji anymore. I wonder if, I wonder if Christian Fletcher broke the button. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe Zuck's such a big fan of surfing. He was following this story and he eliminated it. He but likes bang. Yeah. Uh, Christian it, calling out Sean. That's really uh, funny. But then, and then ask for people to pile on. It wasn't, it, then specifically Christian asked, Hey, if you've had uh, Sean Thompson drop in on you, please share. Right. Or something. Well, Mapski on Instagram, I think, uh, I forget if this was a listener or if he just wrote this in the comments, but he's uh, chimed in with his own pros in the wild in the comments. And he said, watched Sean versus Vince Collier during the Caton contest when the waves were up and he could not get out, meaning Sean Thompson could not make the paddle out. Vince was out back waiting for the horn as sets poured through unridden, yelling in his basso profundo, start the effing heat while Thompson was flailing backwards with every duck dive. The judges let him paddle for 15 minutes until he finally punched through, then they sounded the horn. Sean won the heat. Vince was ready to kill everyone on the beach. <laughs> That's amazing. That is such a good story. That is a great one. Uh, anyways, that was fun. Fun this week on Instagram. You can always count on uh, Christian Fletcher for this. You sure can. Christian Fletcher really brought that. I wonder what Sean Thompson, if he when he wakes up and sees you know, his notification button on his phone just getting broken because so many people are adding him with bad stories about him and whatever. If he thinks, oh no. Or if he just thinks, eh, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I have no idea. I have a feeling. How much can you take Christian Fletcher seriously? I mean, that's the thing. Is like, And Christian Fletcher, I, I would hope Sean Thompson thinks this is what Christian is good for and good at and what surfing also needs. And so if I'm, yeah. if I'm the brunt of it today, then so be it. Right. But also is, I, I guess it made me think, cause I don't know, I've never seen, I mean, I've seen Sean Thompson in the wild at an event, but never in the water. Is he truly like an egregious drop in? Apparently he is. Cause there was a lot of stories, a lot of people commenting about Sean burn me here and here and here and here and here, et cetera, et cetera. But also, yeah, the thing that I wanted more information on, you know me, I do not like a cop collar. And so yeah. Sean Thompson pulling an Ashton Goggins, I wonder why or how. Yeah, that I'd like to know that story too. I My impression about Sean dropping in was that he's probably older and wiser now, just like Jerry Lopez confesses to in his you know documentary last year with Stacey Peralta, where he's like... You know, at the height of my fame and my powers, I thought I was a golden god and I would just go on everything and I need to make amends to all those people. But at this point, I'm not dropping in on people anymore. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same. 
Okay, well, Sean should... Sean, if you're a listener, then feel free to call in and correct the record. It would be funny if he was upset about that, though. Like, Christian Fletcher being mad and flipping somebody off is the equivalent to Snoop Dogg smoking weed. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, if you were then pissed that Snoop lit up a blunt... Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's what it's, Christian does. It's exactly you should if he treated you nicely. I would be very suspicious. Actually, I would I would do a wellness check on Christian Fletcher. Exactly. Well, coming into pros in the wild segment, um, of course, we're going to give away a Buell wetsuit at the end of the month, as we did last month with Aaron on the North Shore. Phenomenal Scott wetsuits. Scott from Japan is in the lead after last week's story about surfing in Australia with Andy Irons and Sonny Garcia. Japan gets cold, too. A nice Buell in Japan would be just the thing. That is a great point. So you are going to be the judge for this week. Scott's in the lead. Our first story comes from another Aaron, this time on Maui. He says, Dear Grit. Here's my pros in the wild story. The year was 20, 2001, and I had just graduated high school. I knew my entire time in school that all I wanted to do was live and surf in Hawaii. So the moment that I got that diploma in my hand, I booked a one-way ticket to Maui. To this day, it's the greatest decision I've ever made. I had grown up ditching class to surf Santa Cruz, so when I first arrived on Maui's North Shore and took off down the line on my first warm water wave, I was in heaven. My first few months there was uh, there were during the winter season, so I got used to larger waves and duck diving pretty fast. I felt pretty comfortable surfing there, and more importantly, making my way around in the local breaks. I didn't have a car. So the first time that somebody offered me a ride to Honolulu Bay, I jumped at the opportunity. It was the week of the women's surf contest at Honolulu, so I was stoked to see some women pros in the wild, but the swell hadn't quite arrived, so the contest was called off. Thankfully, we had uh, all brought our boards, and we decided not to miss the opportunity to surf the bay for the first time, even in the small conditions. Climbing down the cliff with five of my new best friends that I had met the day that I arrived in Maui, I was surprised to see that the bay wasn't crowded, mainly just a couple of the women on tour warming up for the event. I proceeded to sit on the inside cakey bowls knowing my role. Within an hour, the swell started to fill in and fast. And just as quickly, a steady crew of locals came streaming down the cliff. When I saw that first wave connect from the first break all the way through to the inside, I finally understood why this wave is so coveted. A flawless freight train, peeling perfect, a perfectly peeling barrel, longer than I had ever seen in real life. For two hours, I had gotten a few waves, but was still trying to just stay on the shoulder, out of the way, still totally enamored by watching each increasingly bigger set and increasingly more impressive surfers fill the lineup. Then the set of the day rolled up, rolled in. All I wanted to do was make sure I didn't get blasted on the inside, so I just paddled as hard as I could for the shoulder, made it over the first two waves of the set and, had a pr- and felt like I was in a safe zone. And I had the treat of being able to watch an absolute ripper on the third wave. He smashed the lip twice on the outside, and I could see that the wave was doubling up, so I just sat up on my board to catch as much of the view as possible. Sure enough, the surfer set it up perfectly, parked inside the overhead barrel a mere 30 feet in front of me. I paused just to watch it all unfold, and he flew past. 
uh, or as he flew past, I did one of those kind of half duck dives, still looking over your shoulder so you could take in every last second. Even after going under, I looked back at him underwa- uh, and the wave underwater in all of its glory. Videos that show this angle always look cool, but it doesn't even come close to seeing it with your own eyes and feeling the energy. I was in heaven. I paddled out to find my five other buddies and we started discussing the waves that had just come through. There was That's when the serenity is spoiled by someone yelling. I look back and realize that it was the guy that I had just witnessed getting barreled uh, out of his mind and whoa, he was pissed. I thought to myself, wow, Whatever that guy's, whoever's that guy's yelling at is in deep shit. I continued paddling uh, up the lineup, feeling nervous about the fight that was about to unfold, and increasingly so because his screaming was getting louder and closer. That's when I started, when I start getting rained on by splashing water, and I realized that the yelling is precisely focused. Holy shit, this guy's yelling at me. An absolute movie freeze frame record scratch moment. This dude wants to fight me. I'm in deep. Uh, Don't worry, though. I'm here with all of my five. Uh, Wait a minute. All my friends have paddled away from me, abandoning me to this local's verbal lashing. By the way, barrel or not, paddling away from your buddies who are getting blasted by a local. Uh, Apparently, my my half-assed duck dive created a chandelier and forced him to straighten out of the otherwise perfect barrel. I had no clue, but that's a me problem because this dude is ready to fight. I tell him that I'm not going to fight him, but he insists. I tell him, it's all good. Don't worry about it. I'll just go in. No problem. He says, perfect. I'm going to follow you to the beach. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is called pros in the wild, not locals in the wild. But as I make it to the beach, expecting to catch local heat, I turn back to see none other than Rochelle Ballard, number one woman surfer in the world, paddling over to the local. To this day, I have no idea why she decided to intervene, but she fully lays into this dude, lecturing him in front of the entire lineup. This is, by the way, secondhand. All my friends were still back in the lineup, so they witnessed the entire thing, and I could see it from the beach, but they're the ones who heard it. He tells them that nobody is allowed to get to treat anyone like that in the water, no matter who they are, where they're from. Absolutely insane. My five-foot tall surfing heroine out of nowhere. She actually defended me saying that she saw the whole thing and that I was actually trying to get out of the way, etc, etc. I was so embarrassed. But I went to the top of the cliff and I watched for the next hour. Rochelle absolutely ripped and schooled so many of the dudes out there putting on an absolute clinic. To this day, she is still my hero. And those five new friends, despite their cowardice, ended up being my best friends for life. And one of them was even my best man years later. Thank you for your work and for hearing my story. An absolute shout out to Rochelle Ballard, who I never got to thank for sticking up for uh, sticking up for this intermediate for life surfer from the valley who will always li- love Hawaii. Aaron. Dang it. We keep sending wetsuits to places that don't need wetsuits. David Lee Scales. That is the winner, and I think it's going to be hard to beat. It was perfectly, I was wondering where the pro was going to come. The sneaky at the end, and the fact that it was Rochelle, who is really, truly a legend above and beyond most legends. I mean, it was a perfect story. It doesn't need to be that lily. needs no more gilding. Perfect. All right. I love it. Uh, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, this is all women's segment for Pros in the Wild today. Great. We need it. We needed this. I know. Um, 
We, by the way, I have dozens and dozens of Pros in the Wild story. I mentioned that to you last week. So we're going to continue reading three a week, I think. But I pulled three that were all women in the lineup, women professionals in the lineup. And um, should I make a should I make a tab on Beach Grit where we you send me all the rest and the ones that don't get read or that get vetted at least can go up and be somewhere exist as a library because they're really maybe good. so. Yeah, we maybe can talk so. later about that, but they should go somewhere. Another buddy was mentioning, like, we got to hire an animator to animate these. It's so true. It is so these true. Would, these would be inc- this would be an incredible Instagram account if there was animation for each of them. If anybody knows an animator or if anybody is an animator, hit us up. Well, certainly we know animators. It's just such a tremendous amount of work. You know, well, like you can't they can't it's do expensive. it expensive. No, of course not. But if somebody but. I think with tech, somebody might have a way to do it, but it's also okay. something that we should discuss further about actually getting a sponsor to fund some animation. Yeah, I would love that. Well, my buddy who mentioned it also said, this is something that AI will do in the next couple of years. Yeah. Like they'll be able to listen to the story and animate it for you. You know, Crazy town. I know it is crazy. Well, the next one comes in from Beach Grit commenter Com Turin. Like you Com know Turin. Com Turin. All right, Com Turin says, Hey, DLS and Chaz, my freshman year at UC San Diego is when Holly Beck was also attending that same university. She has somewhat disappeared from the surfing public eye since leaving the women's tour about 15 years ago, but at the time, she was being hyped as the next up-and-coming it girl. Being a young and as delusionally overconfident as I was, I also joked with my friends that I was going to hit on her if I ever saw her in the lineup. One afternoon down at Black's, I was hunting an inside left peak that tended to be left less crowded. I saw a goofy-footed blonde girl absolutely ripping the bag out of a wave and then realized that it was, in fact, Holly. About 10 minutes later, I was sitting in pole position after a bit of a lull, and she paddled up to sit about 10 yards away from me. I thought to myself, well, you'd better do what you said you were going to do, and I racked my brain for the line that might actually strike up a conversation. As I was pondering this, the wave of the day popped up on the horizon and I realized that I was in the perfect spot and there was actually nobody deeper than me. I abandoned the notion of trying to talk to Holly, made the late drop and started to come off the bottom expecting to have this perfectly lined up wave to myself. Further down the line, I saw that Holly was actually appraising me with a look of utter disdain on her face. She suddenly turned around, made her assessment and went right in front of me. And, and she knew that I wasn't going to um, try to keep up with her. At that point, the decision was whether to hit the section and potentially hit Holly as well or straighten and, and straighten out. Since trying to call her off the wave was clearly not going to help at this point, I straightened out and watched the perfectly lined up wall that stretched out all the way to the beach with Holly tearing it to shreds. It's one of the most savage burns I've ever experienced, given how much of a gem that wave had been. Um, uh, though I probably wouldn't have surfed it to its potential, being a lifelong intermediate. But that was not the end of it either. Over the next hour, Holly dropped in on me twice more, <laughs> despite my efforts to call her off. It became apparent that this slight was not uniquely directed at me. She was going, regardless of who was deeper than her. 
I considered saying something, but I held my tongue when I realized that nobody else in the lineup that she was dropping in on was calling her out on it. A couple of my friends were surfing further down the beach, and I relayed to them uh, what had happened and that I failed to talk to Holly. From then on, every time that I surfed down at Black's, my friends would ask me if Holly, bur- if Holly Beck burned me again or if they had, or if I had actually managed to talk to her. I never saw her uh, in that lineup again. And in retrospect, this was an era when surfing was way more of a boys club than it is today. She was absolutely dominating the peak all afternoon and nobody attempted to call her off. She schooled everybody out there that day. Calm Turin. Man, that would be number one if it wasn't for Rochelle Ballard saving the day. That was a great story, Calm. Loved it. Well, what I like about it too is um, Holly was, I mean, again, in the context of that time, it was a boys club. The most aggressive boys get the most waves. And so Holly showing up and just playing by the rules of the day, regardless of gender, is exactly what, I mean, it was noticeable because she was a girl, like that's what stood out about the equation. But to Holly, she's just showing up on the playing ground and playing by the rules of the playing ground and out surfing everybody. Has the skill to like, has the money to pay her check. Mm -hmm. The uh, funny about these pros in the wild, as I listen, you read them. So you, I guess, know I am like the listener. I am just along for the ride. They like, they're so good now, and I think the category is set, and the what you got to bring to the table has to be, it can't just be, I was out and there was, you know, X surfer, and I saw him do something cool. Like, there's got to be a twist, right? I had no idea. Was he going to hit on Holly Beck? I didn't, I didn't see Holly Beck burning him, burning Comturin multiple times as part of the way this story went. Yeah, and... I agree with you. I didn't know where that one was going either when I first read it. But what I walked away with was having mad respect for Holly. You know, like there's no complaining. There's no she's just like, boom, she's going to lay down the law and you're not going to say anything. And by the way, she I bet she maybe not in this session, but in sessions she learned early in life. Not not only do I not want to get hit on you, hit on by you in the lineup I am going to make you feel like a fool shame. forever even Deep thinking shame. that that was a possibility. Like, I'm not going to wait for you to say something to me and then, like, try to figure out how to n- navigate it. Instead, what I am going to do is burn you from the get-go, and you're never going to even open your mouth. Here's the thing about that story, too, that I love these pros in the wild for multiple reasons. But one is, like, the subtle rules of surfing that you kind of inherently know, but are you haven't actually had them in your brain like as a fully formed thought in this one specifically i think there's any kind of adult learner will think surfing goes on a turn basis right it's my turn or if i'm in position that's all that matters and that's generally true uh that if it is you know if you are in position that wave is yours with the caveat if somebody burns you and they rip and you don't rip you are not allowed to say anything to them uh, unless if you're like surf way worse than them, if they're going to have the guts to burn you and rip it, if you say, Hey man, stop burning me. If calm turn would have said, Hey, that's uncool, man. It was my turn. You look like an utter fool because yeah. the superseding rule is the better surfer gets whatever waves he or she wants. hundred percent. You are now identif- you're self-identifying 
as not only a more kooky surfer, such a kook that you don't even know the rules. You don't even know that you and can't even appreciate the like style or ability. You are right. such a kook that you yeah. don't know that Holly Beck is way better than you and exactly. that you suck. And yeah, there was a, well, what was it? Uh, oh, back when I was doing the Jamie O'Brien Twitter account way back in those early years, uh, I wrote one t- tweet for him that I really thought was good. It was, I think somebody got mad at him for burning him somewhere. And mine, my tweet was just waves look better with me on them. Uh, which is, I think a truism, like if the surfer, if the wave looks better with that surfer on it, then sorry, even if you were waiting out the back patiently for your turn with the other lifelong intermediates, then enjoy the show, man. Totally. hundred percent. Well, the final pros in the wild for today kind of, uh, connects both of those last two stories comes from Ty in Costa Rica said two years ago, nearly perfect pavones. It's head high, clean with a medium light crowd, complete mix of hometown heroes, medium builds, Euro trash beginners, and the major standout in the lineup, Bethany Hamilton. She's ripping, and the entire lineup is rubbernecking to watch her waves. Unquestionably ripping, super impressive to see in person. The other spectacle in the lineup is a dude who has been floating around on the inside. He is wearing a Speedo, rocking an ass-length jet-black braided ponytail, and perched on a sun-browned, beaten-up 80s-era surfboard. He's not paddling, aware of his surroundings, staying out of the way, or really moving at all. He is a problem, kind of like a traffic cone that's been sideswiped a few times, but somehow has worked its way still even closer into traffic, a total menace. I've got the perfect shoulder view of the situation as it unfolds. Bethany drops in, nice vertical hack, casual bottom turn, then smashes it again. And incredible, an incredible start to what's shaping up to be an endlessly perfect wave. She's pumping through the speedy section just past the river mouth and absolutely hauling ass. She's done everything perfectly to position herself for the most critical section of the wave, where there's no room for negotiation, no room for error, and that's precisely where the traffic cone has decided to park. And this time, he's done it intentionally, just to watch her. He's awestruck, completely frozen, and staring at her with a slack jaw, open mouth gaze. His face says total disbelief. So maybe he was he knew who she was and he was just starstruck. Either way, he's right in the section that she would want to hit, staring at her, aiming for him. But she takes the prudent path just past him and decides to kick out, narrowly and precisely avoiding the collision. He, on the other hand, gets sucked over with a lip, not the first time today, and seemingly unfazed each time. She reels around, paddles down to him, and proceeds to give him a brutal and animated ass-chewing, a brief departure from those positive vibes and Christian values that she's known for. She lights him up. They were just far enough inside to where I couldn't make out every word, but could tell she was heated kooky that was so kooky what's wrong with you kooky 
she keeps drawing it out longer like it would be easier for him to understand but he understood nothing he said nothing he just stared at her in wonder almost as if he liked it she eventually paddled back out and the current sucked him around the corner and he was never to be seen again i wish i knew where he came from where did he find that board had he seen blue crush more times than me but i'll never know keep up the work ty damn it that is a great story shoot Oh my goodness, I'm stuck, David Lee Scales. I'm stuck on these. I think we need to send the wetsuits to Rochelle Ballard and Bethany Hamilton. I think so too. <laughs> oh my uh, goodness. Well, that, that toss was a up. Phenomenal story. It's a real toss up, but I'm going to still, I got to go with Rochelle. Like, Rochelle is Peacemaker. I love Bethany. Oh, it's really hard, though. It's even funnier. His traffic cone analogy was epic. I had a buddy who uh, he coached like kid soccer. Uh, volunteered and he he would call the kids who are let's just say slow uh he'd call them cones <laughs> which was always good cones. it's solid yeah but solid. Uh, dang it i'm gonna have to think on this one a little more maybe we take it to instagram and uh do a poll let's do a poll decide. let's do a okay. poll rochelle ballard versus bethany hamilton in the heat of the year it's the wave of the day for sure right here this is going to potentially dethrone Matahi Drolet and Emio's Cermak at Chopu in the trials finals. because Could very well. This has all of the drama built into it as well. That's all right. Well, thank you for those pros and wild submissions. Email them to surfsplendor at gmail.com if you want yours to be read. Uh, we're just going to keep this going from month to month, I think. I mean, Until I think forever. Started. I think I think this has been established. I mean, I guess some point maybe we'll run out, but we sure certainly won't. They are like barrels or nas. I agree. I agree. Keep them coming. There's endless pros in the wild and endless surfers to uh, comment on their good or bad behavior. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, hey, let's go to commercial break really quickly, and then we'll come back with the aforementioned barrel or not. Let's do it. Chaz, sunbum.com, what's not to love? I mean, the best thing about it is you could save 15% if you go to sunbum.com and you use Surf Splendor 15. In Southern California, at least, the sun has not shown, but it has begun to shine. And I hear it tell that it's going to shine hot all the way through December. It's going to be a hot, warm, sunny fall. So stock up. And what you should do if you're smart and prudent is get a lot of sunscreen and use your 15% off because that is a nice savings. Yeah, I can't even remember being sunburned. Like, to be perfectly honest, it's been years and years, maybe a decade since I last got sunburned. And um, it's thanks to Sunbum, to be honest. And I use the mineral sunscreen because that's what our beloved um, dermatologist from 2018 that we had on the show from Scripps, who is helping us do a PSA, he advised use the mineral sunblock. Um, that is the safest for your skin and all that sort of stuff. But what I love about the sunbum mineral is the texture. It's light and airy. There's no oily greasiness to it. Because remember all those days where your hands would get greasy and then you go paddle out and try to stand up and the Ooh. first few waves, your hands are slipping off the rails of your board. Smashing your chin right on the deck. Gone are those yep. days. This mineral stuff, it's like airy, grease-free. When you apply it, 
it doesn't move. It doesn't migrate down your face with water. It stays in the position that it's supposed to be in. And there's a bunch of different applicators. There's the face stick that you could use. There's the actual lotion that you can use. There's a roller that you can use that you just, so you don't even have to touch it. You just roll it onto your body. So you could buy it from your local surf shop. You can buy it at CVS or Target or any of those major national retailers or sunbum.com, of course, if you want to save the 15%. The code is SURFSPLENDOR15. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Chaz, we are back from commercial break with Barrel or Nah. Anything Exciting. else that you want anything else that you want to follow up with from previous weeks or whatever? I'm trying to think. It's uh, I think we're all pretty good. I think that um yeah, I think the surf world just keeps on ticking on. Stories just rolling out. You hit 5,000. Over 5,000, man. I'm well past 5,000 now. Is there the anybody thing else? Think about that. Is- I, I wrote the story about writing 5,000 stories, and I, I would have hoped that it was uh, satirical, like 5,000 beach crit stories, right? We all know what those are, let's be honest. But the, the honest, like, congratulations, the real heartfelt congratulations in the comments that I got a bunch on Instagram, too, made me feel bad. I was like, oh, you shouldn't be congratulating on me on this, on this amount of utter shallow nonsense that I have been garden hosing you with for almost 10 years. I wake up in the morning, 
I get the garden hose of senselessness out and I just start spraying just every yeah. like blue moon and maybe stumble on something culturally valuable. The rest of it is just straight nonsense. And even the 5,000th story, I just presumed that it would be some valuable, you know, something valuable, some important insight into the surf world or anything. And nope, it was just, here's how I got to 5,000 essentially. Yep. Just by being dumb. And here's to <laughs> 5,000 more dumbnesses. So I, as it relates to that, I published an interview with Brett Barley this week. Brett Barley you know, has embraced the vlog thing and he was the early adopter. He published his first YouTube video one year and one day to the date after YouTube launched. So one year and one day. So YouTube launched in 2015, or I'm sorry, 2005. It was like February 14th, 2005. He launched February 15th, 2006. So YouTube was one year old. So that's how early he was into the game. And I think he was like 14 years old at the time, you know? So anyways, as it relates to your and my conversation, uh, can you still hear me? Your visual went away. Yeah, no. Am I back? Okay, cool. Visual still on? Yeah, no, it'll pop back up, I'm sure. It tends to sometimes. But anyways, Brett Barley, what he was talking about is he's learned that none of his viewers demand or even appreciate his level of perfectionism. So he would spend tons of time editing the video because he wants the editing to be incredible. He wants there to be a narrative arc. He wants the surfing to be incredible. And then occasionally he wouldn't have the time. So he would just put out what he would consider like a C quality video and the C quality video would get twice as many views, Yeah, you know? And it's just in this modern world, It seems to be that frequency is what matters most. Just maintaining the conversation is what matters most. Somebody said in the comments, quantity has a quality all its own. I can't remember who that's a quote from, but... It's the way of the world now. Yeah. As long as as you're chiming in, you know, people people are happy. So, all right. Well, here's to 5,000 more. Yep, here we go. Uh, barrel or nah? First one comes in from a listener. Hey, Cav and David, barrel or nah? Folks, under, I'm going to say 30, 35, a.k.a. millennials, using the F-bomb in normal conversation, social media posts. I kind of, I kind of feel like I pretty much know what it is, being of a different generation. Let me know what you guys think. And keep up the work. Dropping an F-bomb in casual conversation. You know, this is a hard one for me. This is a hard one for me. I married a sailor. Uh, Cersei Wallace will just drop F-bombs like it's going out of style, just but in like a total casual conversation about nothing, right? Like, And so... Uh, and it's totally endearing to me when she does it. Like, I think it's wonderfully, perfectly cute. Uh, so I can't be hypocritical here. I'm going to have to go with Beryl. I'm going to have to layer. If you can do it as part of the only time I really don't like swears, uh, is when they are awkwardly delivered. It's the same person, you know, 
smoke a cigarette all day in front of me, but you know the person who is aware that they're smoking, the way that they're holding the cigarette, the way are they blowing, they're blowing the smoke. So this self-awareness thing is unchill. So I think with, same with dropping F-bombs. If you're just like spraying them out there, just machine gun F-bomb, and they all come naturally in the cadence, keep it up. If you are aware and say, if you're like pausing, and then I went to the the store and the like then it's gross. So I'm wondering if it's gender specific. Like it's funny to hear old people cuss. You know, like in the <laughs> in in I don't know. I feel like it was Happy Gilmore. Like some at some point in my evolution of watching movies. I saw grandma cuss and it might've been an Adam Sandler movie and it was yeah. the funniest thing I had ever seen. And then a child cussed in a movie. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Cause it was so out of context. So I'm wondering if that's why Cersei gets a pass is that it is still a little bit novelty to see a lady. dropping it's just, an such, it's just such part of her, uh, patois. It's the way she speaks, right? It's just like from years of growing up as a, you know, a dirty rat snowboarder. It's just in like that's she speaks the lingua franca of dirty rat snowboarders and skaters, yeah. which that's her, you know. And of course, when she's on a call business wise, where like she'll she has the off switch for it, but I enjoy it in our everyday communication. Yeah, I understand that. I, I guess when I was listening to the listener call, I identified what they were tapping into, which is it used to be an anomaly to hear somebody drop an F-bomb and it used to mean something. It used to mean that they were pissed. And so it kind of alerted, it was a signal to anybody around that there was something, you know, important happening or something serious happening. And now millennials, gender, regardless of gender, do use it in common conversation. Like it's lost a lot of its punch. And I think that he might be identifying, you know, it's a little bit of a shame that something that once was reserved for importance, but also dirty, is now made commonplace. I get it, but it ha- But that's what's happened, and so we just need to move on and replace yeah. it with a new bad word. Which I mean, I think I think if we started dropping Logans, as but like <laughs> really hold it back for something like you are being such a Logan head, or you Logan that one good, or Logan you. I think we could Logan. do that. Logan was being such a cone. (laughs) (laughs) He is cone. I mean, there is something, right, that will replace it. But I I think you're right. Like, to be the old guy who just is is pissed at the millennials for doing things the way that millennials do them is also stupid. I mean, it's it's a losing battle that doesn't let's let's be honest. Millennial stuff. None of it is really barrel. Like millennials somehow, and I apologize to our millennial listeners, tell me that I'm wrong. But yeah, millennial, and I know they're just punching bags. Poor millennials. But millennials are a pretty rotten generation. Well, so there's the way to fight back is if you embrace it and start cursing, using an F-bomb all the time, then it becomes even more commonplace. But as the older generation, if you just let them be stupid and you don't incorporate it into your lexicon... You stand firm in the way that you've always stood. There's a good chance that it's a passing trend and that it goes you, away in a few years. You rise above. Yeah, rise above. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think we, uh, I'm going no barrel on it. You can go barrel on it. I'm going barrel. We'll stay separated on that one. Uh, second one, a little controversial. Husband sitting shotgun. 
This came in from Dave, an emailer, and he said, I'm not much of a storyteller, so I'm going to get straight to the point. Husband sitting in the passenger seat of the family vehicle. I get it. Times have changed. But whenever I see a dude sitting in the passenger side of the vehicle in what looks to be a family outing, doesn't look right to me. Am I a misogynist? What's going on here? Thanks, Dave. This is, this is really... He, this is a... Sometimes these barrels are not cut so deep. They cut to, like, the things that go unspoken. Where... Nobody will address this. No, I mean, there, there's what... no chance anybody else in the surf world or mainstream media would address this topic. I totally agree with Dave. I don't know what, like... And it's probably patriarchal, you know bad programming that I need to go look at and weed out of my evil heart, right? But like, if if I'm, if we're going out as family or even me and the wife going out, I drive 99.9% of the time. The only time I don't drive is if she thinks I've consumed too much, which I never think that. So she's wrong there, but I'll acquiesce to that one. But otherwise, I drive. And I don't think it's about anything hierarchical. Clearly not. Because she, I think, prefers to get work done or whatever she's doing in the passenger seat. Uh, I like to drive. But this is exactly, I feel, I hear Dave. I, and if I see some other dude sitting in the passenger seat and his wife's driving, I think either that dude's, <laughs> yeah, it's awful. But I'll just be honest. I think that dude's a... a like, I don't think it actively, but probably instinctively think that dude is a weak, weak little man. Doesn't know how to drive <laughs> or something like, okay, yeah. Let me, let me dig in a little bit here. Um, who's the better driver between you and Cersei? Uh, probably Cersei. Really? So that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with it? No. Interesting. Because yeah. my, I think there's a couple of things happening here. Yes, the male gender is uh, pre-wired to have certain competencies that the other gender, that the female gender doesn't. Oh, I like that you're, 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 you're wait, wait, wait. more calls. <laughs> I'm not saying that, it, that driving is one of those. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let's acknowledge that each gender has its own pre-wired dis- dispositions and skill sets. Right. And there's I mean, a just, bell curve. To say that to say that today is entirely cancelable, but I fully agree with you. Yes, men okay. are different. To say that men are different from women and generally, as a rule, some things are done better by men, opening stuck jars. And some things are done better by women. Uh gardening. What, whatever, what, whatever, whatever. You don't even have to, even picking them is going to sound bad. But yes, let's just make that statement. That's yes. what I believe that each gender has its own skill, you know, skill sets that, by the way, exist on a bell curve. Gender and then you or have, sex. And then you have, you know, an outlier on, you know, one side that is better than the other gender, of course. At, but there is a bell shaped curve of just, for whatever reason, evolutionarily, that's the way that the species that the genders have developed. Okay. Now, in addition to that, there's all of the patriarchal things that you kind of pointed to that have um, fostered in a belief system that may not be accurate anymore. So at some point, when automobiles were developed, men drove them because men were leaders in society and this was a new thing and we we're going to let the leaders then do this thing. 
And so that has become the norm. And it didn't mean necessarily that men were better drivers than women. That never even got assessed. It was just built into society that the males were going to do this thing. And I think we're still living with some of that, you know, structure to this day. And so, and so, yeah, we, and by the way, it could in fact be that males became better drivers because they had more experience driving because of those things, you know? And so now we're living in a situation to where it's, we're just going to, the males are going to drive. That's what's happening now. So I think that those, there's two different things happening and I can't identify which one it is, but the fact that you're going to throw everything off and just say, no, Cersei's a better driver than I makes me think that there's another thing that's built into the genders, which is maybe males just like being in control more. Yeah, it could be. And, and driving is a control thing and that women are more comfortable being, out of control and allowing the male to think that they're in control or whatever it is, you know, like that could be part of it. There's definitely something because I do feel very uncomfortable when I'm in the passenger seat. Like I don't really know what to do. I'm like, you know, I'm not critiquing the driving per se because again, she's a great driver. So it's not like, you know, I think something's going to go wrong. I just feel very uncomfortable, which is a me problem. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to go, no barrel on dudes sitting in, in the passenger seat. <laughs> See, where this goes awry for me, like I can understand globally kind of everything that I just explained or tried to explain probably very poorly. But where this goes wrong for me is when you see the ba- the dude sitting shotgun and you go, that guy, his wife wears the pants in the family. Exactly, when, but you do feel you, that. Don't when you? you make a quality like an, an insulting assessment about <laughs> about their entire lifestyle and their family dynamic because he's sitting shotgun that's the problem that's exactly and that is again something i need to go look at this is something i need to start too bad we don't have the therapy sponsor that we used to have why did we lose that therapy sponsor because you made a suicide joke <laughs> That's why we lost him. But you didn't even make a suicide joke. You made a commentary on people winning the lottery, how there's a correlation between they end up ruining yeah, their lives and some of them committing suicide. But and we then, really do need some therapy. I mean, well, I sat, sadly, a listener's girlfriend or wife who happened to be in the car while he was listening had experienced suicide in her life with a very close person, contacted our sponsor, not even us directly, and complained that we had made a suicide joke. Oh, well, man. Brutal. Yeah. Well, we lost a year's worth of advertising because of it. Uh, and now I, and I, I'm a poorer man because of it. I would have utilized that therapy, but now I'm judging men in passenger seats. <laughs> exactly. So, what a waste. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, not that you're asked that you asked her that I need to throw her under the bus, but I always drive as well. And it is because I'm a more competent driver, Better driver. than my spouse. Yes. And she would acknowledge that as well. Like, sure. So it, it just is, uh, it's practical in our purposes. It's the rule. It is the rule. I'm going to go, I'm going to go also. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, bar- the husband sitting shotgun. I'm going no barrel, but I'm totally willing and eager to rework the gender norms in society for a broader and more uh, accepting environment for all of us. If you're a male uh, shotgunner listening, please call in with your experience, what's going on and how you are not a total and complete wuss. Yeah, how you feel about us judging you every time we see you sitting shotgun in the Honda Odyssey with the kids in the back. 
All right, moving on. Uh, barrel or nah from a listener. Call in. Hey, guys. I got a barrel or nah for you. I'm sitting here in my office waking off watching the U.S. Open um, when I should be working. But I just watched this piece on the One Ocean thing, and Kanoe Garashi was uh, doing his thing. So I got a quick barrel or nah, and I can't believe you guys have never talked about this. Males dyeing their hair. I mean, what the F, Kanoe? Like, frosted hair? That's, like, I don't know. Is it a barrel or is it not? Talk about it later. Canoe's frosted tips. Discussed it. I feel we have discussed we? it in the Idolo years, but we probably not as a barrel or not. We probably just discussed Idolo's butterflying. Uh, and I'm going to go a surprising... I'm going to have to go... I'm going to have to go barrel. I was going to put an age caveat on it, but I'm not. I'm just going to say dyeing your hair as a man, I don't do it. You don't do it. I would respect somebody I knew who did it a lot less. But all that aside. <laughs> Especially if he's sitting shotgun. <laughs> but I'm going to say that aside, if you got a compunction, if that's your kink, dyeing your hair, just because I think less of you, doesn't mean you are lesser. Like Kanoa Igarashi, his frosted tips look kind of good on him. I'm not going to lie. That's a, he looks K-pop, which is exactly the market he should be going for. Well, there's two different types of males dyeing their hair. There's him going for, you know, uh, basically accessorizing his look. And then there's the dude who's going gray. And so he wants more black in his hair and he's going, uh, trying to maintain his youth. Yep. I mean, and both of those, I'm going to say, it's not for me, but who am I to call that a no barrel? I'm going to say, you go, yeah, go, go for it. Go dye your hair if you really want to. If you want to take both time, energy, and money, three things that are in or should be in short supply for today's out and about man, if you want to take time, energy, money, and go dye your hair, have at it. If that's if it's that important to you, yeah, I'm going no barrel on this one for sure. <laughs> In the case of the older male trying to retain his youth, it looks cringy. Like it, there is. First, let me start by saying there is nothing more beautiful than watching somebody age gracefully. When you see, like, you know, Andy McDowell. I don't know why I chose this, Andy <laughs> McDowell. <laughs> I should have went with Brad Pitt. At a funeral actress? Yeah. Wait, what? (laughs) The four weddings and a funeral actress? She looks gorgeous in her old age. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Great. That's what I'm saying. Deep cut. Andy McDowell, Julia Roberts. You know, like I'm trying to identify Hollywood women who have not gotten a bunch of plastic surgery. Sure. Like you see there and you're just like, I mean, that is, there's something very, very beautiful about that, you know? Or Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. Brad Pitt on the guy's side. You're just like, how is that dude as old as he is? And by the way, he did take measures. It wasn't that he just given up completely. No, he took measures, but it was hydrating regularly and hitting go, the gym occasionally. And I'm gonna go ahead drinking. and guarantee that Brad Pitt dyes his hair. There's really? no way he has that color hair at 57 or whatever, and it changes. It gets like kind of dustier to kind of. He for sure has a colorist on well, staff. Me, I would think that he has a colorist for films that he's working on, but I don't mm. think in his everyday life he's going for a look. 
Brad, we need you to call in and either confirm or deny. Let's let's focus back on Andy McDowell, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody even knows who she is. Before wedding at a funeral, man. She was a I, starlet. I mean, she was I mean, when she was young, she was a knockout. She's a 10 and she still is a 10. You know, that's yeah. kind of the point. Is aged gracefully. So that's the point. Nothing more more beautiful than aging gracefully, gracefully. And so hair dye is not going to hair dye is a step down from that and also identifies your um self-esteem vulnerability and puts it on display and so i think that's the cringy part about it for me i hear you but but that's not kanoa kanoa is going for a look so that's a second thing so that's one the second thing is the young guy going for a look i mean also cringy to me for some reason like i think it's I think you build into your strengths, like whatever it is that you're good at, go ahead, hit the gym, try to build into your genetics and like be the best version of yourself. But when you're trying to become something that's not yourself and trying to be, I don't know, a caricature or whatever it is, to me, it just looks like you don't have it within you. So now you are applying lipstick to it to try to make it look like somebody else who you saw that looked cool, who had that hair color. That's what it looks like to me. I mean, I hear you, but I'm not going to take that away from Kanoa Igarashi. I'm going to let him fly his freak flag. Yeah, I'm taking it away from him. My other thing is, (laughs) my other thing is, dude, that amount of time and effort that you devoted to that thing could have also been devoted to. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's where I'm on the... that, okay, I'm going no it feels, I'm going no it feels masturbatory to me. You know what yeah, I mean? Like instead, focus on winning a world title or reading a book or a relationship in your life or whatever. Whatever you're doing that is just for your own vanity feels like a waste of time and also in gonna undercut those other goals is how this is this is the importance of barrel or not, is that you have now convinced me that it is no barrel. You, in fact, were right on this issue. And so we can now share as a unified front to the listener, to the, our male listenership, it is not barrel to dye your hair, man. Thank Don't you. do it. Thank yeah. you. You it's made bad. a compelling case, a compelling case. Thank you. Uh, and I'll use Italo, Italo Ferreira as a perfect example. Italo, the first couple years on tour, was a major threat and everybody was afraid of him. He ever since he's hit the gym and post oiled up abs photos on Instagram, dyed his hair, once it became him like all of that self-awareness and him being about him and showcasing how good he is is when he started losing heats and by the way got injured and all of it kind of went off the rails. He's when not the folk not even final five, not even a prayer to get in the final five, really. Exactly. And there was a time where it was just like he was gonna nobody could yeah, nobody could not focus on him because he was that big of a threat. Now he's focused on himself more than anybody, and as a result, nobody else gives a crap about him. He's not a threat. Nope. So in other words, dyeing your hair leads to like a real downgrade in your life. You it was the hair dye itself that infected his brain and worked in. its way down. So true. No barrel. Mark our words. Good thing our listener was watching the U.S. Open and caught Kanoa on air to deliver this because we really got to the bottom of a major issue. Good thing. Here. So true. Solved it. All right, cool. Well, um, <laughs> by the way, that barrel, today's show that was dedicated to women and pros in the wild really went off the rails with our barrel <laughs> or not segment about men riding shotgun. <laughs> 
we cover both ends of the spectrum here. That's what we sure do. Sure do. All right. Well, hey, uh, quick shout outs to not only our listener support, but to sunbum.com, to buellsurf.com, who's giving away a wetsuit at the end of the month. And then, of course, to drinkag1.com slash surf, who are always fueled by. Mm-hmm. I noticed you posted that hyperlink on that beach grid article from last week which i appreciate but you forgot the slash surf at the end oh dang it okay i will i will get it back up i will get it back up today drink ag1.com slash surf for for complete and whole body vitality nutrition support all of it citabruzzi is on the program now so what else do you need to say that's all you need to know all right Chaz. uh great show Anything else you got to say before we sign off? That's it. Come over to beachgrit.com. There will be later on information of how to properly help uh, those who are suffering in Maui. Beautiful story today, too, from Honolulu Bay with Rochelle Ballard. So thanks for that little shout out to Maui. Yeah, thoughts and prayers and support. And Hannah will sign us off as always until next week. Bon voyage.